Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast at the Cowboy Church of Ellis County. How many of you have figured out that we live in a crazy world? People think it's a good idea to send bombs to people in the mail. All the people's lives that are put in danger for that. Decide to go into churches and, and, and shoot up synagogues. We live in a broken, broken world is what I can tell you. But God knows it's broken and He knows He's the only one that can fix it. But He also knows that if the church is just as broken as the outside world, then what's the point? I want to I start tonight or today with 2 Timothy 3.16. I don't want you to turn there, I just want you to listen. I'm going to give you two different translations. One is this. New Living Translation says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. The New International Version says this, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. I'm going to start this, this message this, this morning with that, with that passage because it's absolute truth. Some of you today are going to, going to hear some teaching. Some of you today may hear some rebuking. Some of you today may hear some correcting. Some of you here may, may just need a, a, a new training in righteousness. But, but the plain and simple fact is, is that if, if you cannot come to church, if you cannot come into church and hear God's Word and allow God's Word to speak with you, how can we possibly change the outside world? How can we possibly make a difference? How can we possibly grow the kingdom of God if we ourselves are not getting it? Let's go to the Lord and word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do want to come to you this morning. And Lord, I, I just want to come to you and, and just give myself to you. Lord, you know that I have been fighting this message. You know that I've been praying through this message. Lord, I pray that you would speak to your people today through me. I pray that they would understand your word. I pray that they would absorb your word. And I pray, Lord God, that they, would, that they would make a move. Lord God, if they need to make a move. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen them if, if they need to be strengthened. Lord God, I, most of all, I just pray that you would just have that mercy and that grace. And Lord God, give it to them. Lord, we ask for your presence today to be with us. We thank you for, for already being here. And I thank you for the message and song in, in Devin's last song and, and just reinstilling re in me that you are in control. And we lift it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not going to lie to you or pretend that, that this sermon was not a, a, a lot of prayer and a lot of, a lot of stuff because it, most people that know me, I come to the pulpit and I usually have a page, maybe two of notes. I've got six pages. The good news is, is the Cowboys are not playing today and you'll get out of here sometime. I want you to go with me over to the book of Isaiah, beginning at chapter 1. We're going to be spending a lot of time in Isaiah today. We're going to begin in chapter 1, 
beginning verse 2. Listen, O heavens, pay attention, earth. This is what the Lord says. The children I raised and I cared for have rebelled against me. Even an ox knows its owner, and a donkey recognizes its master. But Israel doesn't know its master. My people don't recognize my care for them. Oh, what a sinful nation they are, loaded down with a burden of guilt. They are evil people, corrupt children who have rejected the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on Him. Why do you continue to invite punishment? Must you rebel forever? Your head is injured and your heart is sick. You are battered from head to foot, covered with bruises, welts, and infected wounds, without any soothing ointments or bandages. Your country lies in ruins and towns are burned. Foreigners plunder your fields before your eyes and destroy everything that they see. Beautiful Jerusalem stands abandoned, like a watchman's shelter in a vineyard, like a lean-to in a cucumber field after the harvest, like a helpless city under siege. If the Lord of heaven's armies had not spared a few of us, we would have been wiped out like Sodom, destroyed like Gomorrah. I just want to give you a little background of that. In this passage, we, we, we learn that, that Israel has forsaken God. God considers himself the father of Israel, and, and he says that the, the foreigners have come in and destroyed everything. The beautiful Jerusalem has stood abandoned. And what does he say about his children? The children that I have raised and that I have cared for have rebelled against me. So Isaiah is a prophet to the king Ahaz and he's a prophet to several other kings. But this is at the time in which the Assyrians come in and they, and they wipe out Israel. Instead of seeking God, King Ahaz seeks man and, and asks for them to come in and help him. And they don't come in and help him. And so the entire town of Jerusalem is taken. And he closes that sentence out with, and this is Isaiah speaking to the people, if the Lord of heaven's armies had not spared a few of us, we would have been wiped out like Sodom and destroyed like Gomorrah. You know, I, I used to assume that, that everybody knew, knew certain books and certain things, and, and, and I, I quit doing that because the, the, the plain and simple fact is if you're preaching or you're teaching or you're talking to somebody that has never opened this book or never heard the gospel, you cannot assume that they know what Sodom is. You cannot assume that they know what Gomorrah is. You can't even assume that they even know how to say them, much less know what happened there. And so I want you guys to go with me over to the book of Genesis 18. Hold your place in Isaiah because we'll be back. The book of Genesis chapter 18. I wanted to give you a description and, and, and kind of an understanding of what Sodom and Gomorrah means. Beginning verse 20. So the Lord told Abraham, I have heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so flagrant. I am going down to see if their actions are as wicked as what I've heard. If not, I want to know. The other men turned and headed towards Sodom, but the Lord remained with Abraham. 
Abraham approached him and, and said, Will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? Suppose you find 50 righteous people living there in the city. Will you sweep it away and not spare it for, for their sakes? Surely you wouldn't do such a thing. Destroying the righteous along with the wicked? Why? You would be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same. Surely you wouldn't do that. Should not the judge of all the earth do what is right? What is Abraham doing right there? He's trying to barter with God. God humors him and the Lord replied, If I find 50 righteous people in Sodom, I will spare the entire city for their sake. And then Abraham spoke again, Since I have begun, let me speak further to the Lord. Even though I am but dust and ashes, suppose there are only 45 righteous people rather than 50. Will you destroy the whole city or, or for the lack of five? And the Lord said, I will not destroy it for 45 righteous people there. Then Abraham pressed his request further. Suppose there are only 40. And the Lord replied, I will not destroy it for the sake of the 40. Please don't get angry with me, Lord. Let me speak. Suppose only 30 righteous people are found. And then the Lord replied, I will not destroy it if you find 30. Then Abraham said, Since I have dared to speak, the Lord, let me continue. Suppose there are only 20. Abraham is pretty brave talking to God and bargaining, isn't he? Suppose there are only 20. And the Lord replied, Then I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Finally, Abraham said, Lord, please don't be angry with me, so if I speak one more time, suppose there are only ten found there. And the Lord replied, Then I will not destroy it for the sake of the ten. When the Lord had finished his conversation with Abraham, he went on his way, and Abraham returned to his tent. So here you got Abraham bartering with God over a town, two towns, Sodom and Gomorrah, and, and, and he says, if you find ten, ten people in these two towns, in the entire towns, you will not destroy the towns. And God says yes. He's got him bargained all the way down to ten. Now I want to give you a good picture of what Sodom and Gomorrah looked like. That evening the two angels came to the entrance of the city of Sodom. Lot was sitting there and he saw them. He stood up to meet them. Then he welcomed them and bowed, his, bowed with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, come to my home and wash your feet and be my guest for the night. You may then get up early in the morning and be on your way again. Oh no, they replied, we'll just spend the night out here in the city square. But Lot insisted, so at last they went home with him. Lot prepared a feast for them, complete with fresh bread made from without yeast, and they ate. But before they retired for the night, all the men of Sodom, young and old, came from all over the city and surrounded the house. They shouted to Lot, Where are the men <clears throat> who came to spend the night with you? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. So Lot stepped outside to talk to them, shutting the door behind him. Please, my brothers, he begged, don't do such a wicked thing. Look, I have two virgin daughters. Let me bring them out to you and you can do with them as you wish. But please... Leave these men alone, for they are my guests and they are under my protection. Stand back, they shouted. This fellow came to, to town as an outsider and now he's acting like our judge. We'll treat you far worse than the other men. And they lunged toward Lot to break down the door. 
But the two angels reached out, pulled Lot into the house, and bolted the door. Then they blinded the, all the men, young and old, who were at the door of the house, so they gave up trying to get inside. Meanwhile, the angels questioned Lot. Do you have any other relatives here in this city? They asked. Get them out of this place, your son, sons-in-laws, sons, daughters, or anyone else, for we are about to destroy the city completely. The outcry against this place is so great it has reached the Lord and He has sent us to destroy it. So Lot rushed out, quick, rushed out to tell his daughter's fiancés, Quick, get out of the city. The Lord is about to destroy it. But the young men thought he was only joking. At dawn the next morning, the angels come, became insistent. Hurry, they said. Lot, take your wife and your two daughters who are here. Get out right now or you will be swept away in the destruction of the city. How many people is he leaving with? Lot, his wife, and two daughters. Four, not ten. When Lot hesitated, the angel seized his hand in the hands of his wife and two daughters and rushed them to the safety of the outside. The Lord was merciful. When they were safely out of the city, one of the angels ordered, Run for your lives and don't look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. Oh no, my Lord, Lot begged. You've been so gracious to me and saved my life and you've shown my great kindness, but I cannot go to the mountains. Disaster would catch up to me there and I would soon die. See, there's a small village nearby. Please let me go there instead. Don't you see how small it is? Then my life will be saved. All right, the angel said, I will grant your request. I will not destroy the little village, but hurry. Escape to it, for I can do nothing until you arrive there. Lot reached the village just as the sun was rising over the horizon. Then the Lord rained down fire and burning sulfur from the sky on Sodom and Gomorrah. He utterly destroyed them along with the other cities and villages of the plain, wiping out all of the people and every bit of vegetation. But Lot's wife looked back as she was following behind him, and she turned into a pillar of salt. How many survived? Abraham got up early that morning and hurried out to the place where he stood in the Lord's presence. He looked out across the plain toward Sodom and Gomorrah and watched as columns of smoke rose from the cities like smoke from a furnace. But God had listened to Abraham's request and kept Lot safe, removing him from the disaster that engulfed the cities on the plain. You know, as I, as I read and read and read through, through that, and I, I sit back and, and even, even studied it, as I look at Lot... And, and I think about Lot's life, and, and, I, and I think about how corrupt these cities are. And even Lot himself is willing to offer his two daughters. Is that not even a show of Lot's character? Had Lot not been a, a, a member of Abraham's family, would he even have survived? And then, I, and then I think back, why did his wife look back? Is it because the world was so uh, distracting to her that she, she didn't want to leave it behind? And, and, and whenever God said, don't look back, and she still desired that world and lost her life. And then, and then we go into, back to Isaiah, and, and we're sitting here talking about Israel. We're talking about Abraham's people. We're talking about the people that God has chosen to be his children. And, and those people have betrayed and no longer listened to God at all. And then you have Isaiah who's standing in a temple, standing in a church, in a temple, talking to God's people. 
talking to God's people. I want you to understand that. He is standing in a temple talking to God's people. He's not talking to people that don't know God. He's not talking about people that don't have a desire to know God. He's talking to God's people. Isaiah chapter 1, verse, verse 10. He says, Listen to the Lord, you leaders of Sodom. Listen to the law of our God, people of Gomorrah. Who's he talking to? I think I just lost y'all because I said it like three times. He's talking to God's people. He's standing in a church and he tells them, Listen to me, you leaders of Sodom. Listen to me, you guys that are teaching the law of Gomorrah. What's he calling all the people that are in there? You have to understand that, that these people know what Sodom and Gomorrah meant. They know if there was but ten people that those things would have been saved. And he's standing there preaching to them and he says, Listen to me. <clears throat> Speaking on behalf of God. Listen to the Lord, you leaders of Sodom. Listen to the law of our God, people of Gomorrah. What makes you think I want all your sacrifices, says the Lord? I am sick of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fatted cattle. Now keep in mind, at this time they didn't have Jesus Christ. And so they had to bring in animals for sacrifice. And, and, the, and you can imagine Isaiah standing there in the temple preaching to these people with a pile of dead animals that they're, that they're ready to sacrifice. And he says to them, I am sick. God says he is sick of the, your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened cattle. I get no pleasure from the blood of the bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to worship me, who asks you to parade through my courts with all your ceremony? Stop bringing me your meaningless gifts. The incense of your offerings disgusts me. As for your celebrations of the new moon and the Sabbath and your special days for fasting, they are all sinful and false. I want no more of your pious meetings. I hate your new moon celebrations and your animal festivals. They are a burden to me. I cannot stand them. When you lift up your hands in prayer, I will not look. Though you offer many prayers, I will not listen. For your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims. You know, as he's standing there and Isaiah is telling these people all of this, they've got to absolutely be dumbfounded. Because in their mind, they are thinking, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? I came to the temple... To worship and 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 I and I brought my animal sacrifice and and I've said all these prayers and, and words and all this stuff so so I checked the box I, I went to I went to the temple I checked the box I, I brought my animal and 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 I've said your incantations and sang your songs and so why are you standing here telling me, listen to me, and that God will no longer hear my prayers and that God is not happy with me and He hates what I'm doing and He can't stand the fact that the, the incense is making Him sick for my stuff. So, so what is it that I'm doing wrong? Their heart was not there. 
doing something out of repetition, doing something because you think you ought to, doing something because you feel like that's what you're supposed to do. When they came to the temple to worship God, they didn't truly worship God. When they offered the sacrifices for their sins, their lives never changed. When they said the prayers, they didn't mean them. Verse 16, he says, Wash yourselves and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight. Give up your evil ways. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of orphans. Fight for the rights of widows. What is God saying? Stop it! You know the difference between right and wrong. You are my people, Israel. You are my children. I have taught you all your life. And yet you are doing exactly the same as the world. Come now. Let's settle this, says the Lord. It almost feels like you're in a, in a court case and, and God is saying, Look, I know you're a sinner. I know that you've done all these things wrong. But I also know that somewhere in there, you know the difference between right and wrong. And he says, come now, let's settle this. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them white as wool. If you will obey me, you will have plenty to eat. But if you turn away and refuse to listen, you will be devoured by the sword of your enemies. I, the Lord, have spoken. So God says He wants to settle the situation. He's the only one that can make it right. You know, if, you, if you're into God's Word and, and you seek God, God can speak to you through some of the most profound things that, that you have ever experienced. He speaks to me through all different kinds of things. And, and, and Jesus always taught in parables. I'm going to put that up there because I really am going to try to get y'all out of here by 11. He talks to, Jesus taught in parables, okay? He taught in parables. He, he would tell a story and then he would come back to his disciples and he would explain the biblical aspect of that. And, and as, I go through, as I go through my own daily walk, God, it's like God just reveals things to me and, and it's, it's some of the craziest things that, well, I, I'm just going to go. God gave me the parable of the confused cattle. Okay? I know we've had the parable of the truck and I mean, there's lots of parables, but this is the parable of the confused cattle. For those of you that don't know, I've been running the team roping, team roping ministry here. I was voluntold about 14 years ago to run the team roping ministry. And, and so I've been, I've been running the team roping ministry, and, and we, we've got a bunch of good roping cows. Well, it just so happens that I've got a really good set that's put together that are already broke in, ready to go. <clears throat> and it's about 45 head of cattle. Well... I, there, obviously, you understand, if you have 45 head of cattle, you've got to have a place where you can take them and they can graze and they can eat. So I, I took all these cattle. I've got a place that the guy's given me uh, to put cattle on, but it's behind a neighborhood. 
and I know I've talked about this before. I put all these cattle behind the neighborhood, and, and when I drop them off in the pasture, I always feed them pretty good. And so the cows know where they're supposed to be and where they're supposed to stay. And I've had 45 head of cattle out there for, for a while, and they've been eating, and, and they're just happy and, and everything else. But then I had a couple of them that started jumping the fences and going into a brand new neighborhood that's just now being built. So I had two or three cows that would jump the fences or go through the fences, and they would wander off into the neighborhood, and, and they would hang out over there. I don't know what they're doing, to be honest with you, because there's not any grass. It's almost like they're just harassing the people. But when it comes to feeding time, I would always pull up, honk the horn of my truck, the cows would come back, they'd jump the fence, they'd all come back in and they'd eat. I'm like, okay. Then I'd haul every one of them up here, we'd have a roping, they'd do exactly what they're supposed to do. I'd load everybody back up, take them back to the pasture, feed them. But then I noticed, instead of four or five cows getting out, Spencer, you got that picture? Now you see the sign down here that says Southwest Erosion Control, and you see how much grass is right there. And that big fat guy right there in the middle of that carrying the feed sack, that's me. I don't know why. I guess the, pic, the, the movie screen makes you add 10 pounds. So, so you can see, now I don't have just two cows jumping the fence and going out. I had about 20 head of cows jump the fence and go out. And guess who called me to let me know? Police Department. And this was on Facebook. You can't even make this stuff up. But you can notice that I've got a sack of feed in my hand. And you can also see by their legs that they're all running. Guess what? They still all come up to feed. And they followed me all the way back in the pasture. Well, whenever that happens, you, you got a couple of options. You, you got to figure out where they're getting out, and you tighten all the fences. And then you got to make sure that they have plenty to eat. And so you tighten all the fences, and, and you dump a lot more feed out, and you put out more hay, and, and, then they, and then they will stay in. But then I had a couple of steers that decided that they would no longer come to feed. So I'd go out there and I'd dump the feed in the troughs and all the cows would come in. Understand, if they don't come into the pen, then I can't catch them. They can't come up here and I can't rope them. And, and, and so I had one or two steers that would just stand out there in the pasture and just look at me. And they'd just look at me. And then I started noticing that two or three more started going out there. Well, I got my binoculars out. I read the numbers on the cow's ear tags. I called Chris Lobbin. We drove over there, pulled the dart gun out, shot them, laid them on the ground, loaded them in the truck, called them to the cell barn, and somebody's going to eat them. But I didn't do that in secret. When we went out there, we made it a very good point to all the other cattle. And when we shot them and they were going, and we were dragging them in the trailer, all the other cows are standing there going, oh my God. And we hauled them off and they're gone. Guess what? All the other cows got to talking with all the other cows in their big connect group. 
and they're all staying in the pasture. They're all eating the feed. And they're all serving in our team roping ministry. Now you, now you clap because you're happy for the cows. But I'm going to treat you like Jesus did the disciples and I'm going to explain it to you. Christians go to church to get fed and fellowship with other believers. They all come in to get fed and they're all here and, 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 and they start getting fed and they, they're, they're good with it. But then some Christians only have a head relationship with Christ. They only hear what's coming in their ears and, and it never goes to their heart. And so they, they leave the church right after being fed and they head right back out into the world. These are Christians. They head right back out in the world. There may be only a few of them at, at first. But when Sunday rolls around, guess what? They come right back to church to get fed. They come right back to church to get fed. They were out, but they come right back to church to get fed. And then they see a little something that they, that they like that they could volunteer to do. They serve. They bring in OCC boxes. But then as soon as the church is over and after they get fed, they head right back out to the world. By this time, maybe some of those people that they served with or volunteered with in the ministry become friends with them. And they say, well, wait a minute. This guy's a Christian. He goes to church with me. But it's okay for him to do this. Go back out there and do that. I think I'm going to go with him. Because if he's a Christian and he can do it, then I'm a Christian and I can do it. And so then we have not five or six or ten, we have 50 people going, leaving church after getting fed, headed right back out into the ways of the world. But then God lays it on the pastor's heart to tighten the fences by, by creating ministries and connect groups and, and try to make sure that everybody stays where they're supposed to be. And, and, and then he has the preachers get up here and preach the gospel to where people will understand that, that, they, that Jesus Christ died on a cross to save them from that very sin. And they don't have to live in that broken world. And they don't have to do those things. But then, there are some Christians that get their toes stepped on. They don't want to do it. They don't want to volunteer. Whatever it is that they were doing with the church is no longer self-satisfying, so they just, they just get sour. They get sour to the gospel, and then they just quit coming to church to get fed. But they don't leave and go quietly. They stand out there across the road and they, they look at you. And then they try to convince you not to go to church anymore. And then we call Chris Lobb and he brings a dart gun. So then God allows Satan to have his way with them. They are devoured by the world of sin. And he does it all in the sight of the people that are around him. 
Other Christians begin to see what is happening in people's lives where they're falling apart and they, and they don't know why. And all these bad things are happening to them and they don't know why. And they rely on man to help them just like King Ahaz did. And they don't know why things are not going back. But the other Christians see what's going on and what's happening in their lives and they make a decision. And they begin a heart walk with God feeding off of His Word and serving Him. You see, in, in God's Word in Isaiah, He said, either you will come to me and eat, or you will go out there and be eaten. So my question today is this. Which cow are you? Are you the cow that's seeking God and, and, and serving God? And desiring God? Are you a cow that's, that's coming in to be fed, but then as soon as you leave here, you, you, you go out into the world and you live just as the same as the world is? Or are you that cow that just heard this message today and you're like, I ain't coming back here. Which cow are you? I want to remind you again that Isaiah wasn't talking to a bunch of unbelievers when he rebuked God's people and told them, uh, to turn from their wicked ways. He was talking to a bunch of a church people, a bunch of people that came to the temple. Did he do it out of hatred? He did it out of love. Because as pastors, we don't want to see anybody, anybody, lose out on the kingdom of God. This world is full of temptations and people that will lead you astray. You, you've known who the... You, you, you have to know who you are in Christ. Once you, once you know who you are in Christ, then those things that are, that are said to, to lead you astray no longer are effective. As a matter of fact, whenever you're in God's Word and you know your relationship with Christ, you look at their stuff as foolishness. When somebody comes to you with a dangerous statement that says this, you know what? You're no longer fun anymore. You know what? Let's go do this. We ain't going to get caught. It's not illegal. Okay, just this one time. We'll do it just this one time. It's not that big of a deal. And, and the one I hear most often, most often, Chris, it's not like we're killing anybody. Let me tell you something. When, when you hear those statements, most likely all of those things that are going to follow that are going to lead you away from where God wants you to be. We have to have a true relationship with Christ. We were, given the Jesus, we were given Jesus Christ as a gift. When we accept Him, repent of our sins, carry our cross daily, we begin to live a new life. Romans 12, 2 says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
I can tell you which cow God wants us to be. Romans 6.1 says, Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of His wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that we were joined with Christ in baptism? We joined Him in His death. For we died and we were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by a glorious power of the God our Father, now we also may live new lives. Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us as sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed His great love by sending us Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son, while we were still His enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. Now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. We've gone through a lot today. And and my prayer is, is, is is that you get it. You are the only person that can have a relationship on your behalf. You know whether your relationship with God is is genuine. Only you know that. So when you you come and you stand before God and you ask God to, to be a part of your life, which cow are you? If you think that you're going to be the one that's going to fix yourself, God God already knows that you can't do that. He said it way back in Isaiah, and that's back in 700 B.C. We're talking about 2018 now. He still knows it. But the thing is, is we have to have a heart change. We have to have a desire. You know, I'm not lying to you about having a personal relationship, but what I will tell you is is if you think that you're going to have a relationship with Christ, and you think you're going to have a relationship with Christ out there, and you're not going to have anybody to hold you accountable but the world, where's the world going to lead you? Next thing you know, you're, in, you're in, encapsulated in darkness, and, and you get caught up in some kind of political mumbo-jumbo, and you make the wonderful decision that you're going to send bombs to everybody through the post office. Or, or you get so upset because people are, are, are finding God, and, and then you want to go in and you want to shoot up a church. That's what a broken world looks like. 
That's what a world looks like that's being devoured by Satan and being devoured by sin. How can we change that? We can make the church the church. The church is a hospital for sinners. Did you know that even whenever people get sick or they have to have surgery, they go to church to get it done? Most people don't even know that Baylor is a Baptist church. Methodist is a Methodist church. St. Paul is a Catholic church. It's amazing whenever they don't feel good and they're sick and, and, and everything is broken or they need surgery, they'll go to church whenever they don't think it's church. But what God wants is a true relationship with you. What He doesn't want is for you to come in and play church. He wants you to stay connected to the vine. Allow God's Word to teach and correct you. The only way that God's Word can teach and correct you is as if you read it. Quit separating yourself from God's people. Get into a connect group. I know most of you are probably in a connect group, but if you're not, quit using excuses as to why you're not. Guys, my, I, I, I'm in a connect group that, that went from like 6 to 8 to 12 to 20 to 32 to 34. I mean, I feel like I'm going to church every other day now. But if you're not in a connect group and you want to be in one, <clears throat> see that man. Otherwise, the world may be one of those things that leads you away. That was probably pretty harsh. Ray's like, I don't care, it's good stuff. <laughs> Put them in a connect group. My main, my main reason for saying that is this. <clears throat> if I am alone and I am seeking Christ, and I come to church, and I, and I sit in, in the chair, and, and I hear the gospel, and I have a true relationship with God, but I'm alone. And then whenever the world starts coming around, and, and, and maybe I get sick and, and I need help, I'm praying, and, I, and I'm asking God, and God says, well, well I, you're at a church, and it has connect groups, and you know I, I gave you the tools, and you're not using them. Because what I can tell you is, is, is that when someone in our connect group gets sick or, or, or they're hurting or whatever, we, we, we rally around one another and we, we do whatever we can for the, those people. But we have to know what's going on in their life. And you know what you cannot do and be in a connect group? You can't be fake. Because they're going to know who you are. And what you stand for. And if you try to be fake, they're going to call you out on it. And they're going to love you through it. And they're going to feed you more and tighten the fences. My prayer today is this. We as a church body, we as a cowboy church body, would desire and want to have a true relationship with Christ with true accountability and true love for one another and move in the direction in which God wants us to do and make a difference not only in our own families but in the families of our community in which we can make a difference. Amen? Let's go to the Lord and word prayer.
Heavenly Father, I just want to come to you again, Lord God, and, and Lord, I ask that you would forgive me where I fail you. Lord, I pray that this message was, was given in the exact manner and the exact timing that you wanted it to be given. Lord, I don't know or understand how Isaiah could stand before all the people and even do that. And Lord God, it is only by your strength and your mercy that I am able to. But Lord, I pray that your love is, is understood through all this message. Lord, I pray that you would speak to your people. I pray that they would desire a relationship with you, a heartfelt relationship with you. Lord God, I pray that you would reveal those things in their lives that you want removed from their life. And I pray that they would not grow weary, but they would be strengthened by, by knowing that you're there. I pray that they would find joy in those trials that they're going through, that they would, they would build that endurance and that character that only comes from you. Lord God, we, we are called to not walk this path alone, but to do it with others. And Lord, I pray that we would come alongside one another in fellowship and accountability and love. Lord God, use our church. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. For this sermon and many more, check out our website at www.cowboyfaith.org.